Flipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Out of Oscar Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Perea spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bello. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown to one Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff, and you still have no talent. It's Sandos in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Thursday and happy 100. How about that? Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, Sandos in the sidekick, buddy. You look good for 100. I'll give you that. I can't believe it's been this many episodes. Firstly, how did that legal dispute over Christmas break not sink us? Secondly, how has Scott Carter not stormed in here and said, are you really still doing this show? Is this really the 100th episode, and why have you wasted so much of my, your, and the listeners' time? And thirdly, where's our cake? You know, Now that we have made mm. it this far, I mean, you had a great idea. Yeah. Go to yeah. one of the local cake sure. rotisseries or uh, gourmet cake or cupcake shops. And, and get our faces on it. Look, I mean, I've always wanted to eat my own face. <laughs> so that's the well. You can't you say that a lot, Ken. That's the treat you get for tuning into episode 100. Is that line right there? Yeah, there you go. There <laughs> on today's show. It is Thursday. As a matter of fact, getting ready to jump on the road uh, with the good old Nuggets, uh, Kevin Brown, and a few guys from the office will drive up to Lexington. I, I like Steve Forbes' play on Nuggets, calling them sweet and sour. I mean, that's my favorite right there. Now, I don't know where the sweet and sour came from, but certainly it's a dipping sauce for nuggets. I'm wondering because he used to work at McDonald's, and that was his favorite dipping sauce at McDonald's. Coach Ford's did? Coach Ford, yeah. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. Humble beginnings, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Look so at him now. Come, yep, so there you go. So that's how that uh, th- that came about. Sweet but, and sour uh, is the best sauce. We're go- Ugh, I'm just a barbecue guy. Really? But, yeah. I'm just Pretty boring. No matter where. I agree. Yeah. But... Um, Going ahead up, Lexington, Virginia, ETSU versus VMI. The women, huge game at home at Brooks Gym. They take on the uh, undefeated Mercer Bears, so we'll talk about that in the second segment. Third segment, uh, Crazy Coach. It's a Thursday, so we'll talk Crazy Coach. I think we got some good stuff for him this week. And a very special last segment, Brian McLaughlin of Hero Sports broke down the recruiting for ETSU. Not, not just ETSU, but all of FCS football. We'll talk about his recruiting system, how he came to where he was on uh, – coming up with those statistics and then also his thoughts on the SOCON and ETSU specifically. So we look forward to that in our final segment of today's show. But first, ETSU versus VMI and it was a game where ETSU led uh, or really the whole game it did get a little dicey. ETSU at one point in time led by 12 with 9.40 to go. Still a double digit lead with 5.17 but yet with 12 seconds to go, only down 3. Bubba Parham had the ball in his hands and right as the horn sound sounded Milad Narmas on a switch, the unlikely guy to block a shot about 28 feet away from the hoop to seal the win for the Bucks. but certainly that got a little more nip and tuck than what ETSU was hoping for. Well, right out of the gate, I certainly thought that this was a walkthrough, you know, a step over for ETSU, and they showed that right from the locker room, you know, in the first half. I mean, it was a 21-point game, 
and then a 20-point game later in that first half with like five minutes left. The 21-point lead was mounted, you know, with 10 minutes to go. And you almost wonder if ETSU kind of had that same approach, right? It's one of those things where it's dangerous to get out to that big of a lead early because you start to maybe coast at a time when it's not appropriate. You know, and I was certainly coasting here in studio. I was listening to you and kind of starting to nod off. You know, I was like, well, this is just another game against VMI. We know what the key debts are. We know what they have been. And despite uh, crazy coach, whom we'll hear from in just a second because we actually taped him a little early this week, despite him and yourself uh, waxing nostalgic about VMI being an Elite Eight team, those days well in the rearview mirror. Certainly lately they have been one that for ETSU and many other teams has not been a challenge. Uh, so that big first half lead, but then right out of the locker room, you know, it's a problem ETSU's had. We've talked about it ad nauseum, really. Uh, VMI goes on a run, and they cut it to four points with 15 minutes to go. You're right, ETSU stabilized, built that lead back up, and you're like, okay, they've survived the run, but then VMI makes another run. So it's a dangerous game for ETSU. Not that there isn't a dangerous game on the SOCON schedule, you know, every single night. Thursday, Saturday, uh, whenever you play, uh, some of the old quotes would be Thursday, Saturday, Tuesday, Sunday, you know, whenever you play in the Southern Conference, it's going to be a battle, and there are very few exceptions for ETSU. The exceptions seem to be, uh, at least lately, you know, Mercer, but then you look earlier this year, 72-68 to 68 in overtime, and, you know, Chattanooga, yeah, the last couple of years, uh, Chattanooga hasn't had much for the Bucks, but they can present challenges in different ways for different teams, as you've seen, they're right around 500 in the league, so... VMI, they've got the terrible overall record. They've got the terrible conference record. But Milad Narmus, he had a task that was, I think, one of his biggest defensively all year in that first matchup. He was up to it and was able to seal the Bucks' victory in no easy fashion. No, I, you know, and Coach had confidence in him. You know, it's maybe not what you want, but that's what they were doing. And give VMI credit. They were able to isolate that to get that matchup. And Milad Narmus did a good job knowing that they needed a three. To, to stay where he was, and then as the clock was winding down with one second, he finally left his feet. He, he didn't go for a couple head-and-shoulder fakes, just kept him in front, and then, you know, honestly just went straight up and having the height advantage over Parham. Parham barely six foot. Uh, just couldn't quite get the shot over him at the last second. So great defense. And VMI, which what they've been doing a lot, and granted they've been playing from behind a lot, but they had a huge second half. They had uh, last Thursday against Wofford, I think they had 56 second-half points. Yep. The game we're referring, the first game against ETSU, 49 second-half points. They had a monster game at Kentucky uh, where they had over 50 points, including they hit 19 threes in that game. Bubba Parham uh, hit 10 in that one. VMI 10 threes in the first matchup versus ETSU. He was 5 for 11, would finish with 25 points. Miles Lewis with 17, and then Jake Stevens with 10, uh, and then uh, Sasha Patel came in with 11 points for ETSU. It was 23 for Davian Williamson, 17 for Hodges, 13 for Boyd, but the Bucks just 5 of 16 from 3. And then the Bucks actually uh, just 8 of 12 from the line. And a little shocking because it was Patrick Good that had a chance to seal the deal with a 1-1 one one late. He would miss the front end. VMI actually went to the line more, more aggressive. They were 12 of 15, 80% from the strike. Bubba Parham had 18 of those 25 points in the second half, so he was really what sparked VMI to that comeback. You and me were talking about it a bit off air. If VMI is going to get you in one area, it's likely going to be hitting the three. They had 10 of them in that first game, just 10 of 30. They're going to take a ton of them. Here's where I don't worry about that as much as we did against the Citadel. Because remember, the Bulldogs were having a horrific shooting conference year overall 
they were shooting the ball still relatively well, if you go back to the non-conference as well. But in the conference, they had struggled mightily to continue that form they showed in the non-conference and knock down deep jump shots. VMI is pretty much the three-point shoot, shooting team during the conference year that they have been all year, right around 35%. I don't worry, and this is a good feeling, I don't worry about VMI putting up an otherworldly shooting performance like we've seen from Citadel, like we've seen from Furman in a couple of the games lately where the Bucks have just run into a bit of a buzzsaw, if for that night only. I do think, though, going on the road to VMI is dangerous because they are 6-6. Six and six. They're a decent home team. They're terrible away from home, but they're pretty comfortable in their own gym, at least comparatively to how they play in other uh, arenas and other parts of the region. So there are things to watch out for for the Bucks. I know you're very much so someone that says that best player is probably going to get theirs. You've said it with the Fletcher McGee's. You've said it with the Bubba Parham's now. Uh, and, and if they do that, then you just have to shut down everybody else. I believe that's your thought coming into this game as well. Yeah, I just think it's hard. I know they've got a couple guys can score, and I know Jake Stevens didn't shoot it particularly well in that first matchup, but he's a guy that's a stretch five or four that can really hit some threes that has given ETSU problems, those type players, before, and he was just two for five from the outside the first matchup. And There's definitely some guys that, that can cause issues. But I really feel like, you know, if Bubba Parham gets 30 or 40, that's fine. As long as you don't let other guys get 18, 20 points, you know, I think that's going to be the situation. You know, and I watched the UNCG last two years has been lucky to escape with a win at VMI. So certainly it's a place where ETSU has won. They haven't been very dominant there, but they've picked up wins. And so I think it's going to be one of those where you have to go and survive. And here's the other problem. Mike, it's very easy to sit here. Uh, you know, and, and be a fan and be a player and look and go, okay, well, we got VMI, what's their record? Oh, you know, last in the league, they got a seven-game losing streak. And, oh, by the way, we play UNCG on Sunday. Right. It's very easy to look past that, but that's the classic what could get you in trouble, right? You have to be able to show up and at least take care of Thursday to set up what would be a great showdown Sunday in the Greensboro Coliseum. Yeah, and certainly looking forward to that contest, and it's one we'll talk about on tomorrow's show, number 101 here on Sandos and the Sidekick. But you're right, I mean, it hasn't been huge margins of victory on the road for ETSU. 11 points here, 13 points there. I think that VMI is a team that is weak inside, so you have to know that going in. They're a team that doesn't have a lot of depth. They've played just 11 all year, and you look at Bubba Parham, Garrett Gilkis, and Miles Lewis, who had 17 in that first game. You know, They know who they're going to play a lot. They've got you know nine guys in double-figure minutes, but really uh, seven of those are productive. You know who you're going to have to stop, and knowing that they have a little bit of a depth issue, knowing that rebounding-wise, and, and even look at the block shots. I mean, they're last in the league in block shots. They lack size and skill down low. Jerome Rodriguez, Maladin Armas, Lucas Goussaint going to be very important in this contest. They didn't necessarily have their best days the first time that these two teams met. They weren't bad days, but they just weren't very assertive and didn't get a lot of touches down low. They did combine for 23 rebounds, so you have to love the fact that the bigs were at work on the glass, but only 18 combined points. Now, that was on 13 shots, so you'll certainly take that ratio all day long. And I've had games where we've broken things down in Sanders and the sidekick where I've said, I think the bigs are going to be integral. And that's been all guard. So who knows if they'll get the touches that require them to have big days, but that game back a month or so ago when ETSU played VMI at Freedom Hall showed 
that the bigs, when necessary, when they do get their touches, when they do have the chance to operate down low, they can be effective. So there's a couple of different ways that Steve Forbes and this team can approach the contest. I think they are, much like uh, I thought with the Mercer and the Citadel games, they are the more skilled and talented team. So while the guards got off in game one, I think that the bigs could do so. Or if you're looking at Davian Williamson, Bo Hodges, Trey Boyd, Yet again, I think this is a very balanced scoring team. They showed that over the homestand, and they just have to be able to take that on the road to be able to indeed set up a showdown that will have the magnitude that it does right now on Sunday against UNCG. Because let's be honest, if UNCG or ETSU lose on Thursday, it's going to take a little bit of the luster out of that matchup. It certainly will, and I think you, you're just going to have to kind of show up, be workmanlike again. If you're going to be a championship-type team, this is a – game where you go on the road with not much atmosphere, there's not much fanfare going on, everybody's pointing to the matchup on Sunday, you've just got to show up, do your job, and I think if ETSU can play defense like they did, especially the 35 minutes versus Mercer, I don't see that being much of a problem, I think to your point, the bigs, I think we're 9 of 12 or 13 in the first matchup versus them, so I feel like they, they can get the basketball inside, they were also able to penetrate and get to the rim. So I think that's going to be, uh, I mean, 60 points in the paint, right? I mean, you're getting to the rim, and I think they're going to have to just easily do that again. And defensively, it's been a struggle for VMI in a lot of different areas in conference play. They weren't as bad in the non-conference, but they're giving up almost 87 points a game. Them and Citadel are kind of on the same level for bottom in the league in terms of points allowed. So that's just one more thing where ETSU offensively can look to have some success they can score the ball all over the court. VMI is giving up nearly 50% made field goals during conference play as well. So especially in the league, VMI has struggled on the defensive end. Yeah, that'll do it for our uh, preview, each issue versus VMI. 6.30 airtime tonight on the Buccaneers Sports Network. 7 o'clock opening tip between the Keydets and your ETSU Buccaneers. We'll step out for a timeout. When we come back, huge game inside Brooks Gym. Brittany Zell and her basketball squad hosting the top seeded right now and the undefeated Mercer Bears. We'll talk to... Mike Gallagher, get his thoughts. He's been there for about every single game. He was there for the first matchups. We'll talk to him about that, and we'll break down what would be a spectacular win for head coach Brittany Zell, especially they've been so good at home. Right after this timeout from Santos and the sidekick, this is the Buccaneer Sports Network. It's funny how things can multiply, like cold weather. One minute, a few snowflakes fall. The next, you need a snowblower just to find your feet. Or tardiness. Run two minutes late in the morning, and you're a half hour late to work. Come on. But good things come from multiplying, too, like the new Multiplier Instant Games, which give you a chance to multiply your winnings. So go ahead, enjoy the good kind of multiplying today with the new Multiplier Instant Games, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Wow, am I happy about my new Wow Rate e-checking account at Citizens Bank. I got a huge rate on my deposit and great account features. With that sort of a deal, I'm saving for much-needed Bucks tickets to cheer on my team. Learn more about WowRate e-checking accounts at CitizensBank24.com. WowRate e-checking accounts at CitizensBank24.com. Go Bucks! Bank your own one. Citizens Bank member FDIC. Looking to promote your business but don't know the best avenue? Stand out from the crowd and go big with billboards. We're Allison Outdoor, and we're the new guys in town. Whether it's digital or traditional billboards, our locations span the Tri-Cities. If you're looking for high exposure for a day, a year, or anything in between, we have rates and packages for you. Call Nick Stickley for pricing at 423-360-4809 or allisonoutdoor.com. And go Bucks! 
Food City is excited for another thrilling basketball season with the ETSU Buccaneers. Even when slicing up the finest cuts of beef, selecting the freshest produce, or preparing the sweetest baked goods, we live and breathe navy and gold. So go get them, Bucks. On your quest for a Southern Conference championship and beyond, Food City is with you every step of the way. Food City, official supermarket of ETSU Athletics. Johnson City Hyundai is proud to support East Tennessee State Athletics. Excellence and education, teamwork and trust, success and understanding. They are the core values that drive the ETSU Athletics program to excellence. ETSU Athletics and Johnson City Honda, a winning combination. The Johnson City way. Today and every day, Johnson City Honda is committed to bringing the Tri-Cities a truly unique way to buy a new Honda or a certified pre-owned Honda. It's a way of business we like to call the Johnson City way. When you come to Johnson City Honda... You can have the confidence in knowing you're getting a great deal along with outstanding customer service that will last long after the sale. We invite you to come by today and shop our outstanding selection of vehicles and experience a different way, an easy way, our way, the Johnson City way. Johnson City Honda, proud to support the ETSU Athletics Program. Today and every day, the Johnson City way. Johnson City Honda, Johnson City. and a sidekick, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher. Happy 100 to you, buddy. Happy 100 to you. Yeah, your name on the show. I, I'm just a sidekick. I feel like I've done about 50 episodes to your 150. You've probably done about three quarters of the show is to my quarter over the first 100 since I did Sandos and the sidekick. 75-25 split? That's about right, huh? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure you'd say that's fine. Yes. Yeah, of course. I mean, I get all the credit, correct? Sandos and the sidekick. There we go. Yeah. Sandos and the sidekick. You shouldn't, but, but you do. But, but who gets fired first? Me. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I got all the I'd say you've been here about 16 years, so I, I think <laughs> you're probably pretty safe. Yeah, but sometimes they go with the cheaper options. <laughs> <laughs> and you know I've never won the Holy one of the Colts for money. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about ETSU women's basketball. Boy, what tough, tough two games on the road last week. Lost uh, one possession games, Wofford and Furman. They return home to take on. It doesn't get any easier. The Mercer Bears, ETSU led at Mercer uh, in the first matchup down in Macon, Georgia. And, again, we've talked about it kind of at nauseum, but Mercer's clearly the best team in the league, but it's not like they're head and shoulders and, and running away with everything, and they have struggled on the road for sure. Yeah, undoubtedly. And Mercer is a team that we saw on the Buccaneer Sports Network about a month or so ago on that road trip down to Stanford and Mercer. And, you know, there's a couple things that come to mind when I think about that game against the Bears, and it was one that Mercer ran away from ETSU in the second half, outscored by 10 in the third, and then 15 in the fourth. Really, that game was pretty tight until the last seven or eight minutes, but uh, the Bears just had too much in that fourth quarter as they started to hit some threes from distance. Amanda Thompson really mounted some numbers, and she has been absolutely incredible this year. Uh, 14 points and 12 rebounds. Didn't have her best game against ETSU, but still did end up getting a double-double. Shannon Titus, 17 points and 12 rebounds, but there was some, some shooting from outside that Mercer um, was able to channel to run away from the Bucks when that did become the blowout that it was. The game was a lot closer 
than the final score indicates, at least in my opinion. You had to know after the two teams combined for 38 points in that first half that Mercer was going to come out firing. They were going to come out with a different product than ETS you saw in the first 20 minutes. There was a nice crowd there. Shania Jackson, I thought, had an awesome moment. She was kind of in front of her hometown fan. She was from 15 or so minutes away, and there were like 50 or so people there to see her hit a three. That was cool off the bench. But aside from that, offensively, there wasn't much for ETSU to take away in terms of positives from that game. 2 of 11 from outside, 14 of 50 from the field. They just weren't able to get the second-half effort that they needed. You know, they, they kind of got away with having a poor first half offensively because Mercer missed some open shots, and the Bucks did a good job defensively on the Bears. Only four points in that second quarter for the league's top team. Uh, but Micah Sheets was over 10, you know, and you look at Erica Haynes-Overton, she didn't get enough shots. Four for nine isn't bad, but 12 points, and you got to get more shots for your star if you're going to keep up in a game like that. And really, outside of Erica Haynes-Overton's four for nine, you look at the rest of the team, and what were they, 10 for 41, you know? So there wasn't that second score, and that's what ETSU we've talked about has needed a lot of the year. They've needed a second score. Micah Sheets has often been that in conference play. There's been times this year where Carly Litton has been that, but she's had a really difficult conference year. And then you saw Brittany Snowden against Furman actually take that number one scorer's role when Erica Haynes-Overton was saddled with some foul trouble. By the way, we didn't mention this on the show Monday, but if you go back and look when we were breaking down that Furman game, you go back and look at that fifth foul on Erica Haynes-Overton. She is 15 feet away from the play, guarding someone off the ball. Kaya Upton, hands straight up in the air, down in the paint on a layup attempt for Furman, was the one the foul should have been on, and Erica Haynes-Overton was called for it, literally standing on an island by herself. Uh, it was horrendous, absolutely horrendous, and I'm sure that you could see it all over Erica Haynes-Overton's face if you're watching the broadcast. She was beside herself, and rightfully so, because she had no business being called for that foul. That being said... Brittany Snowden was the one that carried the majority of the load against Furman, 19 points, 14 rebounds, missed that layup at the buzzer, just rolled off the rim, but she was the one that took the reins when Eric Haynes Overton was struggling. ETSU didn't have the Brittany Snowden that we saw against Furman. She had seven points on three of seven from the field. They didn't have the Micah Sheets that we become accustomed to in conference play going 0 of 10 from the field. ETSU needs Eric Haynes Overton to stay out of foul trouble, be out there a lot. And they need either Sheets or Snowden or whoever it may be. Lexus Spears had 17 points in six minutes against Wofford. I mean, it could be anybody on the roster. A lot of players have shown the ability to be that second scorer. It could be Raven Dean, but they're certainly going to need one of them against Mercer. Well, and I think, you know, well, and, and, and they've got to shoot better than 28% from the floor as they did in the first matchup. Now, we know the, the numbers has been well documented on this, on this podcast and every statistical thing you can see how much better ETSU shoots at home yeah. compared to on the road. So you have to feel like, number one, you know, you're going to shoot better than 28%. But I think if they can somehow hold Mercer to right at where they were the first game, 60, 65-point range, and I think ETSU's got a great shot because of the absurd amount of points they're able to score, plus there's the Brooks Gym factor. I think, you know, it is a tough place to play. I think there's going to be a lot of people in attendance because they're going to chalk up uh, right, wrong, and different, the men's game versus VMI, and they want to see the women's game versus Mercer. And I don't blame them because in the scheme of the things, it is a bigger game. And not that all games aren't big, but I do agree that this is an this opportunity yeah. for the women to do that. And, and the women could win out. And I'm not even crazy talking here, but the women could win this game. They could 
win against Sanford. I think that's should very easy. Sanford, should win yeah. against Sanford. Go on the road, and I think they should beat UNCG and Western Carolina. Win four in a row. That would put them winning seven, right? Seven of their last nine. Yep. And then, if I'm not mistaken, from there, they would have a, a decent shot at actually climbing all the way up to get a two seed because at that point they would be nine and five. Furman still has to play Wofford. Furman still has to play, uh, I want to say, Mercer, right? And, and uh, yeah, they've got to play uh, Mercer. They've got to play Sanford. They've got to play Wofford. Uh, and then uh, Wofford, same thing. They've got to play Mercer. They've got to play there. And so Chattanooga's got to play uh, Mercer this week as well, which could be another loss. So it could, it, it's not out of the realm I'm not crazy talking here, Mike. Am I, there is a possibility if they rattle off four in a row, and they've been very good at home, so you certainly could see two games at home, and you're playing the bottom two teams in the league on the road. Western Carolina has yet to win a home game in league play. Actually, they haven't won a game in league play, period. And they've only won three games at home overall. They're 4-22. and 22. UNCG's 8-3 and three at home in uh, non-conference, 3-2 and two in league play. But they've got a losing streak of three in a row, so we'll see how that goes. So, but it all starts today, and I think the or uh, yeah, tonight if ETSU can knock down enough shots and play about the same defense they did, I don't think they have to do anything special. Uh, you know, maybe holding uh, Kiki down like they did Callaway as they did the first time. I don't know that they'll keep her in the single digits, but if they can at least keep. Mercer in that 60-point range, I think ETSU has a great shot. Yeah, preseason player of the year, Kiki Calloway, 2 of 13 from the field, 5 points, 4 rebounds. I- I'm not sure that you can expect that again, but I also don't think that you're going to get shooting performances from uh, Linnea Rosendahl that you got. 4 of 7 from outside, hit some key threes late. I don't think Shannon Titus, while she has been very good, is going to get a double-double again, 17 points and 12 rebounds, and she has been a very good player for Mercer, but I think there's some give and take there where you're right, I could very easily see Mercer being held to low 60s, mid-60s again. I think the point uh, differential or the point distribution, I, su- I should say, will look a bit different where Kiki Kelly will probably have a better game. She's not going to have many games like she did. Amanda Thompson is probably going to do her thing. Just back to your point on the crowd, it is going to be a great crowd tonight at Brooks Gym. And if you don't ever already have tickets, you should make sure to get some because the Bucks are an extremely fun product to watch at home. The crowds are very good. They get behind ETSU. And quite honestly, I think that the Bucks, when they are in Brooks Gym, are a top two team in this league. And against Mercer, and I'm going to do a bit of bold predicting early, Jay, against Mercer at home, I believe that this is a game that they will win. Uh, that's going to be my first bold prediction for the week. We usually do them Friday, but we're going to do one day early for my first one, and then we'll do the rest on tomorrow's segment. I think it's a game that they do win because Mercer has not been. We talk about the dominant team that they were the last couple of years. You look at some of the results this year, specifically on the road. Wofford, an 81-79 win. Shannon Titus, a layup with a couple of seconds left to pull that one out. At Western, 69-67, to and Western very easily, with the last 10 or 15 seconds going differently, could have gotten that win, and certainly that would have been one of the biggest upsets, I think, on the college basketball landscape in terms of conference play this year, with Western being the team that they are at 4-22, and and Mercer being a team that won whatever it was, 26 in a row or whatever in the 2017-18 year. Overtime at home against Stanford, 76-68. to uh, So there's been games for Mercer where they have looked not only beatable, but probably should have lost. And when you factor in the side of things that ETSU is at home, they played with and, in fact, played better than Mercer in that first half down in Macon. 
and the fact that Erica Haynes Overton is going to be, I'm sure, furious coming off that foul that was very phantom late in the game that didn't give Erica a chance to finish out the contest. Uh, ETSC is going to be happy to be back at home. The crowd's going to be supporting them, and I think that the Bucks are going to win that contest. It will take a top effort from Haynes Overton, from either Sheets, Snowden, Spears, any combination of the three. I think Amanda Thompson's probably going to get hers. She's just a scrapper, a grinder, someone that is very crafty, but also very strong. And that's why she has the dominance on the boards that she does. 10.6 per game in league play this year is three better than anyone else in the conference. And she's also sixth in the league in scoring. Thompson and Callaway are a dynamic duo. I'm not sure they're the duo of Lawrence and Callaway that Mercer had last year. They're very different. But Thompson is a force inside. Everyone on Mercer that they play can do some athletic things. And they've got a couple of shooters, too. So the Bucks will need their best effort. But we've seen this year, undefeated at home in league play at Brooks Gym, they have had their best efforts. And some may say they escaped a little bit with Western Carolina. That's fair. You're not going to win every game by 10 or 15. You're not going to blow every team out. When you're not at your best, do you win games? At home, ETSU has. Mercer has found a way to as well. This is really a fire versus fire type game. Yeah, I, uh, you know, definitely not the duo uh, as it was last year. And that's probably the reason why the games have gone the way they have. Now, when you lose a, a, a lady, it's drafted in the W. I know she didn't Second long, round. I mean, but but you're still impressive. drafted, right? Yeah. You're, you've got a pro on your roster. Uh, certainly that changes things dramatically. I think the big thing is is Mercer's found ways to win on the road, you know, and that's a, a good mark of a championship team. Well, he she's found ways to win at home. Uh, rather, So something's going to give. And I think these are the next two games for Mercer are the – last couple shots of losing in the regular season to me I think they're you know they play obviously at ETSU then they play at Chat. now they play Furman and Wofford which is pretty good competition as well but they get them at home right so I think these are the two games that they've got circled and they feel like if they can wrap up with a win uh, you know at ETSU then go to Chattanooga and win Saturday that they got a great opportunity to finish that, that conference season with an unblemished record one other thing you have to do tonight is make sure to keep Shannon Titus off the offensive glass. It was really the second time that ETSU has been done in in conference play. And, and granted, this wouldn't have made up the 23 points that Mercer ended up winning by, but at Chattanooga, Ebony Williams crashed the offensive glass and, and really was the one that got the mocks to the finish line with that victory along with Lakeland Bolden's late free throws. Without Ebony Williams hitting the offensive glass and getting a lot of second-chance points and changing the tide a bit, early in the fourth quarter where ETSU was getting kind of deflated, I felt, when they were getting that first stop but couldn't get the rebound and then get the second stop. Really, Shannon Titus did the same thing. She had seven offensive rebounds in that first game on her way to that double-double, and her stat line was nearly the same as Ebony Williams. So Shannon Titus is an athletic player. She is very heady about getting to the boards and getting good position to make sure that she can get those offensive rebounds. If ETSU doesn't block out Shannon Titus, that's going to be a problem. We've seen it twice this year. That's two losses that if those players, and Ebony Williams and Shannon Titus, had not had the type of game on the offensive glass that they did, we could be talking about different results. Maybe not the Mercer game as much, but certainly the Chattanooga game. That has been an issue for ETSU. You have to make sure in preparation for this game, you are bodying up everybody that is crashing the glass, not just Amanda Thompson. Again, that game is tonight. It'll be on ESPN, the Family of Networks, uh, 7 o'clock. It's Mercer and ETSU. And then we'll tomorrow come back on. We'll recap the men's game versus VMI, recap this game 
versus Mercer and get you set for the weekend. Senior Day, we'll have radio broadcast and ESPN coverage of that Saturday. Uh, Sanford versus ETSU. We'll step us out for a timeout. When we come back, Crazy Coach up on our 100th episode of Sanders and the Sidekick right after this from the Buccaneer Sports Network. Ballot Health is an integrated health care system built to meet the local needs in Northeast Tennessee and Southwest Virginia. Together with community, we're transforming our region. We're making communities healthier. We're expanding access to critical services in rural areas. And we're investing in health research and medical education. It's your story. We're listening. Ballot Health is proud to be the official health care provider of ETSU Athletics. Go Bucks! The Carnegie Hotel is Johnson City's only AAA four-diamond property that is unique, tranquil, and brimming with character, just adjacent to East Tennessee State University. When it's time to dine, Wellington's Restaurant in the Carnegie Hotel is the place to be, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner in grand style. And why not come indulge yourself at Austin Springs Spa, located right inside the Carnegie Hotel. East Tennessee's premier full-service spa provides everything you need to rejuvenate, revive, and renew. The Carnegie Hotel, 1216 State of Franklin Road in Johnson City. Wendy's has three new hamburgers on the new made-to-crave menu. The barbecue cheeseburger, the sauce and bacon cheeseburger, and the peppercorn mushroom melt. They've got so much swagger, they'll change the way you think about hamburgers and the way you ride through our drive-thru. Maybe you'll lean your seat back a little. Maybe a lot. Maybe you'll roll your windows down. Or maybe your window's broken because you punched through it to get your hamburger faster. Try the three new hamburgers on Wendy's new made-to-crave menu and download the Wendy's app for craveable deals today. At Wendy's, we got you. At participating Wendy's. Mulligan Hardwood Flooring is a beautiful addition to any room. Enjoy the luxury of hardwood flooring in your home with Mulligan's pre-finished, sold, or engineered, ready-to-install selection of beautiful hardwood flooring and a wide variety of domestic and exotic species. Please visit the following Johnson City locations to learn more. Dockery's Floor Covering, House of Paneling, Carpet and Door Mart, and K&M Flooring. Kingsport locations include Dalton Direct Carpets, Custom Floors by Carlin, and Providence Flooring and Paint. Visit the Smile Floor Service in Bristol. Trust the clear leader in quality hardwood flooring, Mulligan Flooring. General Shale is proud to support ETSU basketball and Southern Conference fans everywhere. Want to make the most of game day? Now you can design your dream home during pregame or halftime. The new My Designs app by General Shale lets you design custom projects right from your phone or tablet. Choose from up to 10 building types. Design with over 50 of our most popular brick and stone colors. You can even share your designs with your friends. Download the My Designs app by General Shale on the App Store or visit MyDesignsApp.com to design your dream project today. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. But we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. I got 22 excuses, 11 on my offense and 11 on my defense. A red zone defense is like Oprah. Like, you get a touchdown, you get a touchdown, you get a touchdown. We tried to recruit bigger, better players to come play for us, but they went to good schools. Uh, I got a bunch of mama's boys right now, and uh, we just won't buck up more next, and we got to get through that. We couldn't do diddly, poo, offensively. Mike, why are you in such a bad mood? What do you care? If you were two and seven, you'd be in a bad mood, too. Hello? You play to win the game. 
I just hope we can win a game. Well, we didn't block him, though. But we made up for it by not tackling. Ben Wallace and Mo Williams fell down more than a baby learning to walk. Crazy coach on this Thursday, Jay Santos, Mike Gallagher, the crazy man himself, somewhere around the world doing something in basketball. Crazy, how you doing today, Bo? I'm good. How are you and Jerry doing? We're doing great, doing great. Appreciate the sidekick stopping by as well, as he always does every Thursday to try to keep us sane. The unsane, Coach, uh, a lot's happened, and uh, I'm very specific to one game in general we'll talk about because two different coaches, I think, gave us two different things to talk about, and we'll focus on another game from last year, actually. But the first two things, one from last year, one from this year, has to deal with the student sections. And I don't know if you saw uh, any of the Kentucky-Tennessee game, a battle top five teams, obviously Kentucky winning that one pretty handily. And towards the end of the game, the Kentucky student section did what most student sections do whenever you beat a team who's ranked higher than you. They start the ever-popular overrated chant, and it only took about one or two overrateds before John Calipari was uh, visibly upset, yelling, and trying to wave off the students who stopped chanting overrated, and then went out of his way to talk about how Tennessee, who was ranked number one in the country, somehow was underrated, which I don't even know how you can do that. But he had went out of his way to do that. Your thoughts on the coach chastising the student section? Well, I mean, I don't know. what time. How much time was left in the game? I forget. About what, a minute uh, and a half. It was pretty late. It was over. The game was over by then. I, I just don't think you want to leave that impression uh, on your players. That uh, okay, we just beat this team. Now we got to play them in two weeks, and you don't want to leave the impression on Tennessee's minds that when they walked out of Rupp Arena, what they what they were hearing, just to give them a little bit of more edge when they come down to Knoxville. So I don't have a problem with it. I mean, you know, kids are kids, and uh, you know, coaches will be coaches. They're just trying to prepare. Uh, for that next game psychologically and uh, you know that's that's a big part of getting ready for the next game you're gonna now just think Tennessee's that's all they're gonna think about uh, once they get around to the Kentucky games hey this is what we heard on the way out the door we got to do something about it crazy coach in coaching circles are fans viewed as an extension of the program and the reason I ask that is because if you're John Calipari, Rick Barnes, anybody that's been the victim of a overrated chant, and, yeah, there's another matchup, by the way, coming up in like 10, 11 days, whatever it is, between those two teams, so I'm sure you're absolutely right. They didn't want the bulletin board material. That thought in the mind of Tennessee that when Kentucky goes to Tennessee, all of a sudden it's, oh, are we overrated now when we beat you by 15 or 20, or they had that motivation going in to try and do so. But in coaching circles, is that something that you can try and rally kids behind? And is it something legitimate to do so? Because to me, like you said, kids are going to be kids. Students are going to be students. Fans are going to be fans at the end of the day. And there's nothing that the program can really do about that, is there? Uh, not really. But, you know, there are places um, where you don't want to go because fans can get nasty. Right. I'm not going to name them. But there's there's places uh, where where visiting fans 
don't want to go because people will say stuff to them. It's just, you know, the arrogance of some fans uh, at different spots can really put a bad name on programs. So you're just trying to, as a coach, eliminate those small-minded people that will say something to other fans. And then there's places you're, you'll go to where uh, – where people will treat you like, uh, hey, thanks for coming. I'm glad you, you know, enjoyed the game. Hmm. I hope you don't win, but I hope you have a good time here. So, yeah, fans are an extension of the program and how people look at the program. So, um, I just think he was taking care of that, trying to, um, you know, to leave that impression or leave gotta, a bad impression. I think that's got to be a bit of a helpless feeling if you're a head coach of a program and there's 20,000 people that are around you that are trying to support you, but at the same time, and especially the student section because, you know, kids are kind of going to be uh, – not, there's not a lot of reason that you can have with fans a lot of the time. So that, for me, Jay, would feel like, oh, well, you know, i got to kind of throw my hands up here. Sorry, Coach, they're getting overrated. But, I mean, that's, those, are my, those are our students. You know, I'm the, just the head coach of these 12, 15 kids that we have. Well, let's take it a step further. Last year, uh, Duke's playing at Virginia Tech. Sure. Virginia Tech gets whistled for a foul. I think somebody – student section man throwing somebody on – something on the floor – and then they started to chant a couple of words uh, that you can't say on uh, radio, or I mean, we can on a podcast, but we treat it like a radio, so we're not going to say it either. But you know, chanted a couple words um, uh, that you can't say in church. And Buzz Williams grabbed the microphone and yelled at the student section to stop cussing not once but twice, and to stop throwing stuff on the floor, no matter what happens on the floor. So where do you stand on a head coach taking that stance and putting a standard not just on his program but on his student section? Well, I mean, that's that's part of it. I mean, you, as the head coach, are the face of the program, and if you want it to be thought of as a certain way, I don't have a problem with it. You know, people, you know, it's always usually the mi- minority of people out there, uh, one or two, that are going to do something really stupid like that. But that stupid action, everybody thinks of, okay, that's Virginia Tech. You know, just one some idiot fan made just you know went brain dead and threw something on the court. But that's what people remember now about that game. I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, um, there was a group at uh, the Duke game where somebody was lining up to shoot, and all of a sudden there's like ten guys in speedos, and right away, Coach Krzyzewski stopped. You know, walked over and said, "Hey, no, that that's not here. We're not going to do that here." Uh, so I think coaches look at it as this is our program. This is how we want to repre- represent the university. So I don't have a problem with coaches stepping in and and wanting it to be uh, in their schools, universities, be thought of in a positive way. Now, on the flip side, we all know there's coaches who like to incite their student segments. That where do you fall on those guys? Well, you know, it's and depends how you're trying to incite them you know that every now and then uh, i forget who it was uh you know they were throwing something on the court oh it was billy uh billy billy uh Gillespie? he ended up at Oklahoma. donovan no long time Tubbs. billy uh 10 15 it might even be 20 years ago he Rip you him. know somebody uh threw something on the court and he got up and say, we need to stop that. Please stop that. No matter how bad these officials are, please stop that. So, uh, the backhanded. I think it's Billy, uh, 
Yeah, Billy Tubbs, Billy, um, I think he's at Oklahoma or somewhere. It, it's it's worth looking at because it is funny. So, but yeah, you you know, as a coach, you you want to do all you can to uh, to do it in a positive manner. So, and there are guys that that go the other way, but again, they're in a minority. You know me, I'm gonna love the coach that goes over to the student section and, and riling them up and getting them going because then I think you are. One for all and all for one, right? Where it seems like if, and, and certainly there are situations where fans can get unruly, and I'm not saying like, oh, fans should just have run of the place. I mean, that seems a bit outrageous. But when you do have a head of a program, a head coach of a program, that is kind of fighting against the student section in questionable situations, I think, like overrated. I mean, that is just fans, to me, doing what they do. There are no curse words and if, where you stand on curse words in sports and coming from two or three thousand people at once, you know that's debatable. But overrated to me just seems uh, relatively tame compared to some of the things that do come from crowds. Now, Coach, I'm wondering where you stand on the opposite side of the ball and Rick Barnes coming out of that one versus five matchup, Tennessee Kentucky on Saturday. The Volunteers carried in a 19 game winning streak into this big matchup. None of the teams that they played during that 19-game winning streak, except for the number one team in the country, Gonzaga, about two months ago, had been ranked. The criticism, I think, of Tennessee for quite some time until the game Saturday against Kentucky is they hadn't played anyone, and now, of course, the criticism will be, look, you finally played someone, and look what happened to you. Rick Barnes said after the game that his team should be embarrassed for losing at the number five team in the country on the road in your conference and this is the first time you played anyone in a couple of months, it seems outrageous and inflammatory to me that anyone would say the team should be embarrassed when you're at another top-five team in the country, and it's been quite some time since you played someone the caliber of that team that you won against that night. What do you think the meaning was behind it? Because, in my opinion, Kentucky-Tennessee, a lot expected Kentucky to come out victorious that night. Certainly a 17-point win, maybe a bit larger of a deficit than some had thought. But when you've got Rick Barnes staying embarrassed post-game, when the team just came off a 19-game winning streak, it seems a bit outlandish. Uh, again, Jerry, you got to look at the facts. You know, they didn't beat a lot of people, but their effort was nowhere near the effort they've had in the, in the last four weeks. So I don't know if he was talking, you know, about – certain players I think he was just talking about their overall effort and I don't, I don't have a problem with that you know I mean uh, like I said if you want to get to a certain level in the NCAA tournament you got to put the guys on notice that this is not how we're going to play and they really if you if you follow the history and the people have been talking about um, UT the last the history of I'm talking about the last two or three weeks not the whole of uh, the program but he's been complaining uh, in the media about their lack of rebounding. And he keeps he kept saying, we have to change this or it's going to bite us on the butt. And he came out and bit him on the butt because they straight up Kentucky manhandled him. And that's what I think he was talking about. Crazy Coach, I have one more for you today. And, Jay, if you have anything else to add, uh, certainly. But... Iowa Rutgers was another crazy one from this past weekend. I'm wondering 
how you pull your team up by the bootstraps if you're Rutgers, who has, in my best memory, never really been good at men's basketball, or at least in recent memory. Uh, how do you pull your team up by the bootstraps after you have a ranked Iowa team on the ropes late and the Iowa player taking the shot to win banks it in from the corner, hits the very top corner of the backboard, and has the most fortuitous bounce, I think, in game-winning shot history. Rutgers had that game won, and if not for a graze of the backboard that led to the ball going right through the hoop, it certainly seems like a very Rutgers thing to happen to the Scarlet Knights. But what do you say to your team in the locker room after something like that happens? Is there anything you can say at all? Well, I don't know the whole situation. Did they um... – what was, I think Rutgers had him by like 10 or 12. So I'm sure there was six, seven, eight plays down the stretch. They could have uh, done something different. But, again, if you're in this game long enough, stupid things are going to happen. You're going to lose a game like that. Right. And then somewhere along the line, you're going to win a game. But I, really, really, I have no clue what the heck I would have said after that because, uh, again, Watching that play, he didn't call bank. No. Uh, so, I mean, if he called bank, I would have had to give it to him. But, uh, again, you win, lose games in crazy situations. What was the um, – it was uh, the, the Lakers like two weeks ago. Um, you know, the ball's rolling around the floor the last 10 seconds. The Lakers are down one. Rondo picks it up and flips it up in the basket. Four or five guys from the other team had a chance to grab the ball, but somebody just tipped it out of their way and it rolled around the floor for like six seconds, and he ends up picking up and throwing it in. So those kind of things happen. Again, um, you know, I whew, I just have to say, hey, look, this happens. Tomorrow we're going to have to go to work and uh, figure out how not to get in that situation again um, where – you know, where a crazy play like that's going to win the game. I mean, you talk about the, the part of the bank. If you look at it, the fact that the guy was able to make the pass to him, that was an incredible part of it. I mean, it, it was sort of like the Duke play, um, you know, throwing it, Grant Hill throwing it, turning it around like that. There was a great pass, a great catch, and then another pass, and, and it just happened luckily – the defender, if you watch it, the defender let his man go to the corner. Again, right there, you might have something to tell your players. You have to trust yourself to stick, stay on your defensive assignment because his guy floated to the corner while he was standing under the basket. So, again, you don't know what happened the last eight or nine plays to change that, but uh, uh, those things happen. And for your knowledge, you know, sidekick, you got to look up some Rutgers basketball. They have been to the Final Four before. Come on. How long ago? Quit showing that? your youth. Quit, quit showing your youth. I said recent Probably before memory. you were born. Except <laughs> <laughs> it was before I was born that I won't have much of a memory of I mean, it. Hey, hey, in, in fairness, there's not a lot of people remember VMI was an Elite Eight team, right? Like, I like, certainly don't remember yeah, that. VMI the... was an Elite Eight team, and I only know that because uh, that was your. Was that your era? High school. Yeah, one of my great friends from high school. Uh, played, uh, you know, like 20 miles. We ended up playing college against each other. He was on that team, and every time I go to his house, I have to go in and look at the picture of him making a shot over Ernie Grunfeld to get him to the Elite Eight. Wow. They beat Tennessee to get to the Elite Eight. So there it is. Some more knowledge for you youth. 
Thank you, Crazy Coach. I'm no, rewatch. No. I'm rewatching the just before we let you go. I'm rewatching the Rutgers Iowa play. Joe Eiskamp was the one that hit the three. It's 3.3 seconds on the clock. Takes a deflection on the home run pass over the top. The guy pulls a Fletcher, Fletcher McGee and is basically looking at the bench. Turns around, fires, and hits the corner of the backboard. It goes. And not only did he not call bank, it's darn near physically impossible. And in terms of science and all the angles and such, you know, you're good with science, Jay. The scientific phenomenon that that shot was. I don't think if he tried to recreate that a thousand times, he could do it once, but that's math that I won't let you get into. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we get ten guys to go and shoot for an hour in the corner. No chance. One might do that. Right. Try to do that. Right. It's one of those ones and, uh, that was crazy. And, and regards to Fletcher McGee, I wouldn't guard him. For some reason, when he's wide open, he struggles. Yeah, that's true. That's they, a very true statement. He I needs the degree of difficulty to be like 9.6. Yeah, like that four-point play, that was crazy. He was coming off the screen. It wasn't even turned yet. Called it and turned, bang. I was like, oh, my God, what a great shooter. He is a great shooter. I think crazy so. coach is probably as crazy as he's been. He's saying give the Isaiah Tisdale treatment to the best shooter in the history of college basketball like they did in the tandem in two the other night where Isaiah Tisdale had his career high of 29 points. Give the tandem in, was it, tandem in two, tandem in one and one or whatever. Leave him open. Plan and design on defense for Fletcher McGee, the greatest shooter in the history of college basketball, to be wide open, crazy coach. Yes. And you know, you got to watch. One thing you got to watch, don't let him shoot coming down the court because when he's dribbling down the court, he's great. But when he's standing and catching wide open, looking, you got to make sure. You got to tell him, hey, look, dude, you got to look at the rim. You can't be standing not looking at the rim. But uh, you're right. I mean, uh, people haven't seen him. They know they need to get over to the SoCon and watch him because he is one of the all-time great shooters. SoCon men's basketball coaches, take note. There's the scouting report for Crazy Coach ahead of the SoCon tournament. There you are. Crazy Coach, appreciate the time as always, buddy. Awesome. And, you know, next week come up with some new knowledge. I mean, come on. You know, I mean, you don't know Rutgers has been in the Final Four. Phil Fellers, come on. Get with <laughs> Yeah, All right. See ya. Yeah. Boom. There you go. Coach Forbes gave him the ejection button there. All right. One more <laughs> segment. Santa sidekick after this timeout. This is the Buccaneers Sports Network. Let Ferguson's knowledgeable product experts kick off your next kitchen or bath project with the latest in touch and hands-free faucets. High-performance gas ranges. Or low-decibel dishwashers. They're really quiet. Request your appointment today at fergusonshowrooms.com. The best decision ever. Visit your local Ferguson showroom at 1000 Quality Circle in Johnson City and choose from an extensive lighting collection of the most sought-after brands. Find the one-of-a-kind fit for your home at Ferguson. The Firehouse Restaurant in downtown Johnson City has been a proud supporter of the Bucks since 1980. Our hickory smoke barbecue, sides, sauces, dressings, and desserts are all made from scratch because that's the way the locals like it. Our tailgate packs are available through Firehouse Catering for 12 or more, starting at just $8 per person. The packs are available all season on Fridays, Saturdays, and Mondays. For more information, visit thefirehouse.com. Come see us before the big game. The Firehouse, 627 West Walnut Street between ETSU and downtown Johnson City. How many places do you ever go without your smartphone? My name is Wesley Fletcher with the First Bank and Trust Company. Now you can pay securely for your purchases with your smartphone, too. Just add your check card to the wallet app on your phone to pay for all your purchases. So keep on moving, keep on traveling, and keep on shopping with the First Bank and Trust Company and Apple Pay and App, providing mobile solutions when you need them most. 
your bank for life. Firstbank.com, member FDIC. Look, if you're like me, you got a lot to remember. Like, remember to pick up some refreshingly cold lemon-lime Mountain Dew ice. Sounds good, doesn't it? Well, here's my trick. If it's a nice day, I think nice rhymes with ice. And that reminds me, I better get some Mountain Dew ice. Or if someone asks me for the time, I think time rhymes with lime, like in lemon-lime. If I work at it, anything can remind me to get to the store and get myself some Mountain Dew ice. Mountain Dew ice. Remember to get some. Welcome back to Smooth 92.2. I'm Dr. Love, and I want to hear the secret to your romantic success. We've got Brian on the line. Brian Guy, what'd you do? Well, I wanted to spice things up, so I surprised my wife with instant games from the Tennessee Lottery. Oh, and did those work, Brian? You know they did, Dr. Love. It doesn't take a relationship expert to know you can't go wrong with February instant games. Only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Sandos and the Sidekick celebrating episode number 100. And in typical Jay Sandos fashion, he has ducked out early to go to VMI ETSU men's basketball, taking on the Key Dads tonight, 7 o'clock, 6.30 pregame on the Buccaneers Sports Network. And who better to have as the feature guest? Yes, Crazy Coach will probably be pretty upset about that, who we had on in segment three. But the feature guest being in segment four, our final segment of the day on episode 100, Brian McLaughlin from Hero Sports, who had one of the more incredible feats, I think, in the history of recruiting by going and putting together a top 50 list of FCS schools and their recruiting classes, and then also a top 300 list as well in terms of individual recruits. Brian, firstly, thank you so much for the time. I'm going to ask you before we ask anything about recruiting, if you are more surprised that Sandos and the Sidekick has made it to episode number 100 or that you made it through doing all of that. <laughs> no, I think it's great. I think what you guys do is awesome. So, um, And, I, you know, it seems like there are more and more great things to talk about, too, when it comes to ETSE. So, hey, I'm not surprised at all. Well, that uh, makes one person that is not surprised. Thank you very much for the kind words. So <laughs> talk to us about putting together those two lists that you did. Herculean, in our view, on this side of the microphone, what was it like being the man actually doing it? Well, I can't remember the names of my children, so <laughs> does that give you any indication? A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> um, it was uh, when we got back from Frisco from the national title game. Um, I would be—I'll be honest with you—I probably spent about a hundred hours a week on it wow. until we got it done. And um, and but I I worked on it throughout 2017 or I'm sorry, 18 also. So like at this point in the recruiting cycle calendar, I start to build a database and I track offers and what have you. And I have a lot of people who actually help me out. Just fans and scouts and who um hey did you see that this kid committed last night did you see that this kid picked up a you know an offer from ndsu and it starts to build and then of course we have the early signing period in december and that's you know about half the kids signed then now and that actually helps make this realistic because i can spend january vetting those kids while also keeping track of the kids who are committing in January leading up to the, you know, the first day in February. And um, I'm very lucky because our, you know, our editors in Seattle think that this is a really good idea. And it does 
it does get quite the response, right. mostly positive. And um, so they're cool with giving me the time to do the homework and research to, uh, to build it. And look, we just go straight on offers because, you know, I, I don't have time to watch film, but I know that when a kid has 15 offers, 15 coaching staff who get paid to evaluate film think the kid's good. Right. And so I have like a, a weighted system. So that's kind of how we start to go about it. Well, and it's a very selfless endeavor, too. It helps us out a lot, and I think the entire FCS community owes you a big debt of gratitude. Let's get into the top 50 list team-wise. I look at Stephen F. Austin and see a team that was 2-8 and eight last year, and mm-hmm. I'm a little bit surprised that they land the number one recruit in the country at the FCS level after going 2-8 and eight and also have a top three recruiting class. But then you look at the other two in the top three, Harvard. Now, I understand the uh, academic aspect. I obviously could not right. get into Harvard, but even I can understand that it is a very good institution. <laughs> and there are other factors at play there. But then Villanova, another team that was kind of middling last year, the combined record of those three, 13-18 and 18 in the 2018 season. How did these three come out ahead of the rest? Yeah, um, great question. Uh, got that question a lot. And um, Harvard, this is actually the second time they've won the top spot in the four years I've been doing this. And, you know, it, the thing is, Harvard is routinely beating out Big Ten and Pac-12 schools for kids. And we all know why. I mean, you know, maybe a kid's a legacy uh, you know, we all know the academic situation. And, and, and if you talk to every, all the kids, when you talk to them going to Harvard, they're, they, they hate that the Ivy League doesn't compete in the playoffs. Um, and that may change soon, honestly. And I think if it did, you would see how good a program, you know, a Princeton last year going 10-0 really was. That There is a lot of talent in the Ivy League in it. And it shows up when the, they end up going to the NFL. A lot of Ivy League products go to, you know, the professional ranks. So, um, Villanova, you know, the, the last couple of years on the field have not been very good, mostly because of injuries, not because they didn't look like they were strong in the preseason. They, um, they just – they recruit really well, especially defensively, and they're kind of in a hotbed. You know, New Jersey, um, Pennsylvania – you know, that neck of the woods is, is very talent-heavy, and uh, they do a really good job going in and getting that. And they they had some kids fall in their laps, and that's, that kind of explains Stephen F. Austin also. Colby Carcel is the new head coach, and they had a messy 2018 season with the uh, the coaching change, the way it went down with uh, sexual harassment charges a whole bit. It was a bad year on the field and off. And Colby came in from Texas A&M Commerce. He knows Texas like the back of his hand. And there were just a lot of SEC kids. Some were decommitments, like our number one guy. Uh, You know, Carl Williams was an Arkansas decommitment. He had four SEC offers. Sometimes those guys slip through the cracks. Well, Stephen F. Austin got like half a dozen of those kind of guys. (laughs) And so – now it's just the coaching staff job to uh, craft this into a team with chemistry, and then you might you might see some pretty early returns on these guys in the next couple of years, I think. 
So I look at the top three being what they were on the field, and instantly the thought that comes to my mind is, well, we could see the fruits of that labor by those three evening the Mm -hmm. national scene in the FCS. Am I looking a bit Mm -hmm. too much into it? Do we not know enough yet to tell? Where do you stand on that point? I mean, you never know. Yeah, I I always wonder – this is my thing. This is is such a good question, too, for, like, asking North Dakota State, South Dakota State, whatever – Chemistry is a big deal. And so you always wonder when you get a kid who, who had an opportunity to play in SEC stadiums, um, you know, you hope the kid's a special kid who, whose ego didn't get too inflated by that because that's also a problem you see a lot of times with transfers. Okay, this kid's highly regarded. He might have potential pro talent, but how is he going to fit in is he going to be mad he's at the FCS level? Because I think some of the best players that come out of this level are guys who had one offer and they're hungry and they're, they really appreciate their, their one chance to be here and they make the best of it. Yeah. So you, just, you always wonder about chemistry. I think that's the biggest question. Let's look more close to home now, the Southern Conference. How should fans feel about the way the league did? I see five schools in the top 30, Western Carolina 10th, Furman 16th, Mercer 17th, ETSU 23rd, Wofford 30th. The only schools missing from the top 50 because Chattanooga was at number 38. I believe Citadel, Sanford, and VMI. When you look at the Southern Conference, did they come out ahead, behind, kind of in the middle compared to other leagues around the country? And just in terms of inside the SOCON, were you surprised by any of the results? I, You know, I thought the SOCON looked pretty good. Uh, you know, the one that jumps off the page to me, of course, is is Western Carolina. And, again, just like you've been asking about some of the other programs, uh, you know, they struggled last year. They had a – you know, the last couple of years they've had a good year and then a kind of a down year, good year, down year. And Western just – they tore it up. I mean, Christian Harris is a huge pickup. That kid – I've been talking to him for a year. He had like 35 offers. Wow. 35 offers. I mean, and, and you know, now granted, uh, he wasn't loaded down with ACC and SEC offers, but he had like eight to 10 FBS offers. Mm. And I, I, I think this kid's, and, and I'm, I know I'm off in a tangent a little. No, that's okay. This kid is a great example of how FBS schools are getting to the point where. If Kent State and Ohio U and Toledo come after them, they don't necessarily see that as this massive step up, which I think all of us who cover this know it's not a massive step up. Um, they look at that as kind of equal with the SOCON team, especially with closer to home. And that's what we're starting to see is kids like that are picking this, uh, not because of bad academics or, you know, somebody left them behind, but because they just, think this is a better option they'll play earlier blah 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 so um but in general great yeah it was a good it was, it was a really good year I thought for the SoCon all right the blue and gold Randy Sanders needed a quarterback there's no more Austin Herrick frequent guest of the show there's no more Logan right. Archie no longer on campus wanted some playmakers on the outside what they got seemed to fit their needs well what were your takeaways from ETSU's class six in your top 300 that didn't even include Trey Middleton or Isaiah Wilson, Wilson being someone that ETSU stole late, Middleton being a guy that if you ask Coach Sanders and his staff who they're excited about in their recruiting class, he's one of the first names that comes out of their mouths. What do you think about ETSU's 2019 class? 
Yeah, it's a great group. You can tell that there's a buzz there. Um, you know, I, I thought, uh, you know, when it when it all shook out, Devin Brantley was a guy that you kind of point out because he, you know, he had uh, not only did he have FBS offers, he had uh, six offers from Power Five conference teams. Number five on and, your list. Uh, yes, number five on the, on my list. I I think I had six or seven in the top three hundred. So it's it's. Um, this, yeah, I you know I was well aware that they were going to need uh, a guy to replace Austin. Obviously, we've talked to Austin a lot over the years too. And mm-hmm. um, and in fact, I <laughs> one of my friends from high school, his son was looking at ETSU and had known Coach Sanders. He's a quarterback who was transferring from Western Michigan, mm-hmm. and uh, and had been talking to Coach Sanders because they had met with Sanders was at FSU. And uh, you know, you could just tell they were going to go out and get a really good QB. And they got two if you, you know, if you look at Travion Houston as being a potential player at quarterback, even though he, he could be kind of, he could play at a lot of different positions, you know, as an athlete. So um, just, I don't know, really well-balanced, big class. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I keep looking at ETSU and Kennesaw and Mercer, and all three programs are, like, doing it right. Right. You know, there, it's been just a couple years of being in existence or, or coming back to playing ball like ETSU and Mercer, and they're all doing it right. They're, they're, they're starting with high school kids and, and uh, building it from the ground up, and, and it's uh, already, you know, they're coming out as successful programs. It's really kind of fun to watch. I'll ask you, I think, the golden question. I think whenever nationally you see a program like ETSU that certainly very young is still developing, has a new coach, is trying to take things to the next level, and you see the success in year one of a coach as ETSU did with Randy Sanders, do you think that this recruiting class puts them in a good position to follow that success up and avoid being a flash in the pan? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I felt like with that senior core who we featured in the middle of the season, and, yeah. of course, it turned out to be such a successful uh, year in the end, um, you know, it seemed to me like there was that senior core who, you know, provide the leadership and the chemistry because they've been there all along, and they went through, you know, practicing without a game and, and, and hitting each other for 12 months, you know, all that. But there, ETSU did have a bunch of young talent. You know, there, there were sophomores and freshmen on that roster that did big things. And now you're going to add this talent to that? I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist when you combine that with the great coaching staff to, to see what's on the horizon with that program. Um, the only question is, it seems like a bunch of other programs, the SoCon are doing the same. Right. So, you know, and, and what have, what have we been screaming for years about the SoCon? The parody, the parody, the parody. It's just, it beats up on itself because it really is a, a strong collective, you know, with no, there's no North Dakota state in the group either. Anybody could knock anybody off. So it's uh yeah, I think there's some good things to come. And uh, there's going to be guys out of this group that will be instant contributors for sure. Well, you knew our answer to that question. It's good to have affirmation from someone a, li- a bit less biased than those behind the microphone. Yeah, I'm not kick. biased at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so for you now, you turn your attention to the NFL draft, right? What's the coverage look like? What aspect do you focus on and where can they find you, Brian? Uh, the biggest thing that I enjoy is the pro day, the month of pro day, because to me this is where the best stories of the FCS come out of. And this might be a, a Matt Pike type of a 
situation, you know, where, where a guy that really kicks some butt during his FCS career doesn't get in combine invite, doesn't, you know, maybe didn't get picked to come to the senior bowl, but then he has a great pro day. It opens three doors and all of a sudden he becomes a priority free agent and he's in a May camp. I mean, that it's, March is really, really exciting uh, to cover because there's a lot of dreams coming true. Nobody's handing them anything, but they're giving them at least an opportunity uh, to open doors. And that that's fun. So that uh, Sam Herder, who I think you guys have had on before, he's been, he's been working on the pro prospects across the FCS, the guys who will get drafted since he got back from Frisco when we both left. And I was doing recruiting. Now we're both going to work on combine, and then uh, you know the lead up to the draft, which you know I don't. I'll I'll, I'll be talking and say I don't think anybody's going to have better coverage of the FCS as a collective with its pro days than we will because we'll be all over it. I wouldn't think so either. You do a great job, Brian. Really, all of your FCS coverage outside of just that is unrivaled as well. There's an unbiased Brian McLaughlin saying great things about ETSU and the SoCon. <laughs> it's not just us on Sandoz and the Psychic. Brian, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me on. We'll have Brian McLaughlin back on down the road once spring ball comes around, perhaps once the fall is getting closer as well. Brian McLaughlin, at Brian MacRider on Twitter, the FCS National Coordinator for Hero Sports. That is your 100th episode of Sandos and the Sidekick. Thanks to everyone that's come on. Thanks to everyone that's listened. Heck, we may even have had 100 listeners during the first 100 episodes. Maybe we'll get to 200 with the next 100 episodes. Tomorrow, we recap ETSU men's and women's basketball. We also do our bold predictions. Always a favorite because people, I'm sure, love to watch me and Jay Sandos fail. And we'll also have one other segment. I have no idea what it is yet. Jay Sandos and I will discuss after the broadcast tonight. Be sure to be at Brooks Gym. 6.30 is when you can get there a half hour before tip for ETSU and Mercer. 6.30 is pregame for the ETSU men's basketball team tonight on the Buccaneers Sports Network. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs>